This is the Santita Jackson Show. Welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. We're just a couple of days away. You know, the beginning of holiday season. It is upon us. Uh, Santita Jackson coming to you from WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station. Give me a shout out today. Uh, how do the holidays make you feel? What do you mean today? And um, what are you going to be doing? And you know, I might get a cook on here to kind of help you with the dressing and the turkey. My mother puts the turkey on the grill. And yes, she still does that because we love to have her make her turkey. But boy, oh boy. Um, well, you know, I've not really been to anyone else's Thanksgiving uh, past Thurston. So <laughs> I, haven't bad, I haven't had bad food. Okay. Uh, it's true. It's verdad. How you doing, Pastor Thurston? Man, I'm doing amazingly well, Santita. Thank you. And you know what, just really quickly before I go through the headlines and bring you on, do you think you might need to talk to people about relationships in this holiday season? Oh, for sure. Listen, that's going to be some craziness happening on Thursday. (laughs) And people need to be equipped and prepared. All the different personality types in the same place at the same time. Oh, Oh, that's grounds for a collision. That's a whole lot. So everybody, let's get right to it. We're going to have Nina Turner on with us today. That's right. That Nina Turner from uh, the Bernie Sanders campaign, the former Ohio State senator. We're going to talk with her about uh, and you about APAC putting aside $100 million to defeat progressives. What do you think about that? 100. I told you that's how it works. I wonder who they're going to put against my brother. Um, well, that'll happen. Trust me. That's, that's, how this, that's how this cookie crumbles. You need to understand that. And uh, because that happened to her during her campaign. And she was like, I couldn't believe what these folks did. I said they did this to, to Reverend during his campaign. Almost took us out. Well, they could have. They certainly tried. But because Reverend had covered so much ground, Reverend Jackson had covered so much ground with his base for so long, it didn't give them the space, Pastor Thurston. Didn't give him the space. Didn't hurt to have Minister Farrakhan saying, if you heard him, you got Malcolm, you got Medgar, you got Martin, he'll be the last one you heard. Because at that time, and many of you are not living, and those of you who were would remember how tense that time was. The fear was that, like other black leaders, he would be killed very young and that he wouldn't get through the campaign. Thank heavens he did get through it. But we're going to talk about this APAC using $100 million, Pastor Thurston, $100 million to target progressives. And in some cases, um, it might work, but it's on you. So call me at 773-763-9278 and a devastating blow to voting rights. Going to have Daryl Jones to specifically share with us what happened. Our civil rights organizations, our advocacy organizations, you as an individual will not be able to file a lawsuit. Only the DOJ. USDLJ can bring lawsuits under Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. That is devastating, everybody. I'm Santita Jackson coming to you from WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota and YouTube, the Santita Jackson Show channel. My apologies to my morning stars. It took me a minute to get up this morning. That was on me. And Alex and I are intending on bringing you a great show. So today... $100 million at APAC has 
put into a fund to defeat the squad, AOC, Omar, Bush, Bowman, Tlaib, Presley, and others, and uh, voting rights. Uh, did you know that medical services are no longer available in northern Gaza? That's right, their Indonesian hospital was done so much damage by the IDF that now those who are in northern Gaza have no hospital. Oh, my goodness. And in another post, I found this out, Pastor Thurston. Uh, there is a website and a social media platform in which they, uh, Israel's public broadcaster, uh, they published a song featuring a group of children promising, quote, to I annihilate everyone in Gaza. They have the children singing this now. Friendship Song 2023. Um, it's been since removed, but some of the lyrics go like this. In another year, there will be nothing there. And we will safely return to our home when a year, uh, within a year, we will uh, annihilate everyone and they will return to plow and then we will return to plow our fields. That's the nature of that struggle over there. That's why we need peace. We need a ceasefire. Oh, Hamas said that they are close to reaching a truce with Israel. The, this group uh, that is responsible for the tragedy of October 11th said, uh, October 7th said today that Hamas would return hostages in exchange for Israel's release of jailed Palestinians in a deal. Israel has not commented. We will see what will happen. Certainly praying for everyone to get on out. A federal court removed to limit endorsement of the Voting Rights Act. That's one of the headlines. The future of open AI was thrown into chaos yesterday. Uh, nearly all employees of the AI, the AI company uh, at Microsoft uh, threatened to quit and join former CEO Sam Altman at Microsoft. Not at Microsoft, but what do you think about that? Open AI. Yeah, well, he, he's the one who said in, a, in an interview this past summer that no one person should be in charge of that space. It is too precious and it is too dangerous to vest it in the hands of one person. Good for him. We will see. Boy, for those of you who are traveling in this holiday season, I don't know if you are, Pastor Thurston, but they say a big storm could disrupt travel in the eastern U.S. Uh, heavy rain from the Tennessee Valley to the mid-Atlantic. Uh, could slow air and ground transportation today and tomorrow. 27 million people are supposed to be traveling today. Wow. Please call your airline or your, the train and find out what's going on, everybody. In Chicago, we're going to have a high of 42 degrees. There will be rain. Minneapolis, 42 degrees, rain and clouds. In the NFL, last night, Monday Night Football, the Eagles 21, Kansas City 17. In the NBA, the Timberwolves 117, the Knicks 100, the Heat 118, the Bulls 100, and the NHL had a night off. Pastor Stephen Thurston, how you doing? All is well. All is well. All right, all right, all right. You tell me. I'm going to mute my microphone so that I can download a few stories for you. But you tell me. Uh, what is the good news today? First, how can we worship with you? And what is the good news? I need some. Actually, Thanksgiving morning, we're going to have worship, one-hour worship uh, from 10 to 11. And so we're at 77th and Cottage Grove if you're in the city of Chicago and would like to pull up and bring some friends and family with you. You can do that, New Covenant Missionary Baptist Church, or you can catch us on our YouTube, Facebook, or our live stream via our website. So that's this Thursday, Thanksgiving morning, and then Sundays at 9 a.m. We're in for about an hour and 20 minutes. You can catch us again, 77 Cottage Grove, or on one of our platforms. And the good news for the day is 
that struggle, grief, and joy can coexist. Uh, This is important to know as we're going into this holiday season. And many people find themselves struggling uh, with these two dynamics. Listen, life's hardest moments can bring moments of such overwhelming pain that it's hard to imagine feeling okay again. But here's the crazy thing, the interesting thing. Yet a few hours later, you can find yourself laughing, perhaps even while tears are streaming down your face. Listen, as a culture, we struggle to hold grief and joy in both hands. But here are two facts that we need to do better at acknowledging. Positive and negative emotions don't cancel each other out. And you don't have to be done with pain to make space for meaning and joy. It's actually common and quite human to feel both at the same time. Healing happens when we're realistic about how long our struggles might take while staying open to the possibility of building a life of meaning, a life of peace, and a life of joy at the same time. So let me give us three things that we might want to do to help to navigate this space better of holding both struggle and grief and joy in both hands. Number one, I want you to give yourself permission. That's the key word, permission, to feel joy. During hard times, it's easy to turn away from the moments of joy that you're experiencing because feeling happy makes you feel bad about moving on from something or someone important, or feeling good while others are still struggling makes you feel guilty or because you have survivor's guilt. Now, these types of thoughts or feelings are common, but know that having moments of joy doesn't invalidate the depth of your pain or mean you care less about others. If you're coping with transition, the transition of a loved one, it actually could be helpful to remind yourself that they cared about your happiness or would want you to feel joy again. And not necessarily in the distant future, but actually today. It's okay. And if you're feeling guilty or finding yourself judging yourself, feeling joy, feeling feeling joy, think of how you'd handle this if it were your friend that was in your shoes. We often give people advice to encourage them and to push them. But, Santita, we don't give that same advice to ourselves when we're in the same situation. The point I'm trying to make is that I want you to practice being as kind to yourself as you would be to another individual. The second thing I want us to do is to notice small moments of joy. People often associate joy with big events. However, happiness can often be found in small everyday pleasures. Uh, As an example, I went by Burger King the other day and I got a free meal. Not because somebody in front of me paid for my meal, but their system shut down and wouldn't take my credit card, my my debit card. And so the, 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 the gentleman said, man, it's on me today. It's on the house. That wasn't anything major. I didn't win the lottery, but it was a small moment of joy that I didn't have to pay for that meal because there was a quick malfunction in the machinery. These moments are often easily overlooked when we're, when we're sad, when we're overwhelmed. But listen, something's happening every day that you ought to be grateful for. 
the fact that you're breathing without an oxygen machine, you're walking without assistance, without a cane, without a walker, just the small stuff, it's important. And it's actually been shown that pausing to appreciate the small joys alongside your struggles can actually make you feel happier and healthier. To make a practice of noticing small moments, here's an exercise that I want to encourage you to engage in. You might want to start journaling about a moment of joy each day so that on your tough days, you can go pull out that journal and begin to reflect back over all the amazing moments that you've recorded every day of your life. And it helps you to recognize that even though you're having a bad day, every day hasn't been a bad day. And even those bad days have been filled with some amazing, miraculous moments. Think about the best parts of your day, even as you go to bed, so that you close out your evening on a good note. Again, it's hard. It's difficult sometimes as we navigate life. But we need to be reminded of the great moments, even the small moments of joy that our creator sends our way. Third and finally, I want you to create moments of joy. Many people feel happiest when they're absorbed in things they love doing, a state psychologist called flow. And the good thing is that all of us have a flow state activity that we love. Engaging in this activity doesn't mean that the hard feelings automatically go away, but over time, these activities can feel like a welcome distraction or space where you feel connected to yourself again. For me, Santita, it's playing Pac-Man. So I got a Miss Pac-Man machine in my house. And even in those moments when I'm down a little bit and I know I've got a lot of work to do, I'll carve out some time, turn on the Miss Pac-Man machine, and see if I can beat my previous high score. And you may be saying, well, Stephen, this flow thing, that, that sounds new to me. So how exactly does it work? Great question. Glad you asked. Number one, choose something challenging enough to require focus without being frustrating. Number two, block out time and treat the activity like an appointment with yourself that you can't miss. And then number three, now on your hard days, your brain will do a great job of convincing you that nothing can be fun. My challenge is that you start. Maybe just set a time of 10 minutes and once it sounds off, you might want to keep going if you're enjoying it that much. But but if the day is very hard and you just can't even keep that appointment with yourself, it's all right. It's cool. Set it to the side and try again another day. In any moment of joy, in, in any moment, joy really can coexist with grief or sorrow and laughter, uh, can, can share space with pain. I want us to know that. And there's nothing wrong with you if your days are still feeling tough. You're not a burden to people. You're a human being. Setting the expectation that some days will be hard and others will be easier, that you can hold struggle in one hand and joy in the other, listen, that can help you to better navigate the loss and the hardship that life sends our way sometimes. So the good news is today, grief, joy, pain, struggle, it can all coexist. And it's my prayer, it's my hope that you learn to hold both in your hand and navigate life as life actually gives us both throughout each and every day. Listen, have an amazing Thanksgiving. One quick question for you. Maybe it's not this quick. I got a, about three minutes left in the segment. Yeah. You know, this is a time of year where people 
really they feel extreme joy or extreme sadness. More often than not, the suicide rates go up and all of that at this yes. time because people feel the gaps in their lives that they're kind yes. of they're able to fill. And this week, two-week period, you know, for Christmas that you have off, some people just find it to be too much. But also, sometimes some of the closest people to us are toxic, Pastor Thurston. Yeah. <laughs> and, Preach. you know, I, yeah, and I remember one Thanksgiving, oh, I was early in college, and my brother, uh, Jonathan, Congressman Jackson, was uh, about to come out of high school. And I saw him come off of the kitchen phone, and he was distraught. And so he told me that his friend had been killed that morning. So, of course, you know, he went to tell our parents, and uh, they went over to this, this his, he was a boy. He was in high school. His father, his stepfather became upset with him because he didn't move the trash quickly enough. Just something awful. Yeah. And I just want to know, is there a time when your family and the people closest to you are so toxic that you might not need to be around them during this holiday season? 90 seconds, you go. Listen, just because it's tradition doesn't mean that we need to stick to it. If you feel your energy shift, because we're all energy and energies around us, mm-hmm. and we have the ability to change our climate. And if your climate is dark and dreary and depressing when you're around certain people's energy, you've got the right and actually the responsibility to change the climate, to shift your space. Because here's the reality. We can't control what people say or what people do, but we can control their access to us. And maybe this Thanksgiving, you need to sit it out. Maybe you need to stay at home. Maybe you need to go and hang out with another group of friends or, or mm-hmm. find some person in a, in a facility, an old folks home, as they call them, and yeah. just make a new friend. Make a new connection and find a new energy field that just feels better, that gives you joy and inspiration and, and enlightens you rather than just doing it just because we share the same last name. And I've always hung around you on Thanksgiving. Make a Amen. shift. Amen. Amen. I love it. How can we worship with you? You'll be having services on Thanksgiving Day very quickly. Thanksgiving morning, 10 to 11, New Covenant Missionary Baptist Church. Catch us on all our social media platforms or on our website, and you can stream it or pull up to 77th and Cottage Grove here in Chicago on the south side. Amen. And on Friday, will you be doing your Facebook Live? I'm taking this Friday off. I'll be back next Friday. All right. Love you, Pastor Stephen Thurston, everybody. Love you, too. Let's talk about what happened with voting rights, everybody. Our civil rights organizations, our advocacy organizations will no longer be able to bring lawsuits against uh, discriminatory election practices. What does that mean? And then APAC, $100 million to take out AOC, Ilhan Omar, Cori Bush, Rashida Tlaib, and the squad. Back in just a minute. Call us. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. What about $100 million uh, that APAC is going to use to unseat progressive Democrats? 
what is up with that? But first, there was a a groundbreaking decision made yesterday as we welcome, of course, Dr. D. Dwight McKee to the show, brilliant social scientist and the dean of the Maafa Project, Redemption Project here in Chicago, and uh, attorney Aaron Connolly, brilliant political organizer and strategist, uh, and attorney Robert Patillo, national leadership team of Rainbow Push, and he is also the host of his own show on WAOK every Sunday from 1 to 4, but Daryl Jones, along with Barbara, uh, attorney Barbara Arnwine. Indeed, she is the giant in the Voting Rights Act space. There's, there's no one who has done more. Uh, who is? Uh, she's our go-to person, and so is the chairman of her organization, the Transformative Justice Coalition, Attorney Daryl Jones. People have been asking about you, Attorney Daryl Jones, so let me get right to this before we pivot to APAC. This federal appeals court yesterday ruled that only the DOJ, the U.S. Department of Justice, can bring lawsuits under Section 2 of the 65 Voting Rights Act. And if this decision is upheld, the private citizens can't sue, advocacy groups uh, cannot sue. Who are private citizens? What happened with this decision? And, I mean, does that prevent the NAACP? Uh, does that depends that does that mean they can't sue? Push can't sue. Transformative Justice Coalition can't sue. I've given you a lot, but give it to us. Uh, good morning, Santita, and, and you're exactly uh, on point. That's exactly what this decision would mean: is that the NAACP, who is actually the uh, the plaintiff in this case that brought this this case that came out of Arkansas, uh, it is is the you know, entity that that has brought this matter. So let me back up real quick, right? This case deals with Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. And with Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, in essence, uh, what we are saying there is that uh, a state or, or a federal entity cannot uh, enact a map, right, the redistricting, the drawing of lines for, for congressional districts and state districts that would result in the uh, uh, a citizen's right to vote uh, based on race or color being denied or abridged. That's what Section 2 is all about. What the federal court did in Arkansas uh, is that it looked at Section 2 and this action that was brought by the NAACP for the state conference of Arkansas and said, you know what, we, it's clear that these lines are drawn to dilute, as we call it, crack and stack uh, black votes in these districts to preserve uh, white control over the state of Arkansas, dilute the power of the black vote in Arkansas. But we're not going to get to the merits of this case because we're finding that uh, the, the plaintiffs in this case don't have standing. They don't have the right to bring the suit, that it can only be brought by the Department of Justice. What that would actually mean in practice uh, is that individual voters would not have a right to use the courts to address the grievances against them. Let's understand this clearly, right? Because these state lines are being drawn by state legislators. And so the state legislatures that are drawing the lines uh, in these primarily Republican areas are are diluting the black vote to to continue to uh, have their control over uh, the legislature, over the Congress, so it affects both the state and federal level. So what this case represents is saying that only the Department of Justice would be the entity that could bring cases. What does that mean uh, in practice? Here, you, Let's lay it out. In the last 40 years of litigation, uh, there have been some 182 Section 2 cases that have been uh, brought, 182 Section 2 cases. Of those 182 cases, 
less than 10% have been brought by the Department of Justice. Less than 10%. So it, it in, in essence, would be the erosion of all the protection of the Voting Rights Act that exists. That's what this case represents. You know, uh, uh, Barbara and I were talking about it uh, last night, and we'll be uh, in Arkansas when it's going to be argued. We're going to be down there protesting this case. One of the big things to understand about Arkansas, I think, is this. Uh, in the Eighth Circuit, the appellate judges there, that are there that are hearing this case, nine of 11 of them uh, are Republicans. The majority of them have been appointed by very conservative uh, presidents. This is what you have in place there. So, you know, it, it, it is, you know, of, of great importance uh, that we get down there, uh, that we fight uh, to preserve the Voting Rights Act and the ability of the individual American to use the courts to address grievances that have been brought against them by, by state governments. You know, uh, uh, Santita, I, I want to close it a little bit on this, right? This case, more than any other case that's come before the courts, this case more than uh, uh, the case that we talk about out of Alabama, this case more than any other case underscores the importance and the uh, reason that we need to pass the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act right now, because none of this nonsense would be going on. This is what this case is all about, Santita. It affects Minnesota, Missouri, Iowa, Arkansas. All those cases right down, down there now that are in that Eighth Circuit are affected by this. It'll come before the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court will have to make a decision. But let's note this in the Supreme Court decision, that Justices Thomas and as well as uh, uh, Justice Gorsuch has already indicated that they don't think that private citizens should have the right to bring challenges under the Voting Rights Act. So it's going to be interesting to see this play out. But more importantly, this is one of our Edmund Pettus Bridge moments, and we need to be certain that we're standing there to be certain that voting rights are protected for every American, but particularly African-American and Native Americans and other, uh, uh, other members of the community of color, Cynthia. Hmm. We're going to be following the story. And after the Thanksgiving holiday, we will be digging down on this because this is really, really big. That, um, hey, I don't want to put it this. Well, you know, what? that's what the NAACP does. The, we have a legal, we have a grassroots arm of the civil rights movement, civil rights, civil rights, the rights that we have uh, that we as citizens have. And that's what NAACP does. That's what the Transformative Justice Coalition, that's what they do. And then you have friends of the court like like um, Rainbow Push, National Action Network, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, but you can't sue now. And that neither can they. Dangerous. Let's talk about this $100 million. This $100 million that APAC uh, has, is expecting to spend to get rid of Rashida Tlaib, AOC, Ilhan Omar, Jamal Bowman, Corey Bush, Summer Lee, all these folks. And indeed, we'll be talking with Nina Turner at the top of uh, the hour to so she can talk about what happened to her. Boy, we've seen this before. Uh, We'll see. We'll see. But let me start with, of course, we've got Attorney Aaron Connolly. I have you, Attorney Daryl Jones, Dwight McKee. Let me start with you, Robert Patillo. What about this $100 million that they plan to spend? 
Well, you know, I think this is part of us understanding the outsized influence that Israel has over American politics. Uh, you know, the, the uh, Jewish population in Congress is almost three times what it is in the general public. Uh, in, the United, uh, in the United States, they're about 2% of the U.S. population, uh, somewhere around 6 to 8% of the uh, congressional representatives. Uh, you know, we have a Jewish Supreme Court justice. We have uh, many people, and this is not to say that there's uh, an issue with that, but the point is that when you're looking Looking at the uh, the power of APEC, what they've done is get behind candidates to make sure that the interests of Israel are always going to be paramount. This is bipartisan, you know. This is Democrat, Republican. This is state, local, national, and the uh, and, and when it's it's great for them to advocate for the needs of the Jewish community. It's great the work that uh, many groups do. It's great for them to defend Israel. You know, I'm not mad at anybody for supporting their own interests, but then when they use that offensively in order to shutter the voices of other groups, that's when it becomes an issue. So someone like Rashida Tlaib uh, was censured by Congress for speaking up for her people, the Palestinian people. Meanwhile, someone like George Soros, or George Santos, who's a literal criminal, uh, has not been censured by Congress. Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, Lauren Boebert, many of these people who are insurrectionists on January 6th have not been censured by Congress. Uh, and, and this is a scary place that we end up being, because we do not want foreign uh, influence Influences of foreign actors having this type of an influence over U.S. policy, uh, particularly when you're talking about the hundreds of billions of dollars that the United States has donated over the course of the last 75 years to Israel. Uh, we have to start asking, is this because of that the sincere national security interest in the United States of America or because outside interest groups have an outsized uh, influence over our politics? And when they start being able to simply flood money into campaigns, pick the representatives, uh, uh, they are essentially picking the U.S. policy and the way the U.S. taxpayers are spending their money. And that is something that has to be brought forward. Um, and this is part of the need for real, true, and lasting campaign finance reform that will survive the Supreme Court, that will regulate not just corporate giving, but also outside giving, to let people know. I would love for the uh, Congress people to have to do just like NASCAR, wear a jacket that says, who's sponsoring <laughs> you, who's paying for you, uh, to be on the track right now. Uh, because I think that would at least give people some truth and accuracy in, uh, when they're going to the polls. Let's say you want to vote for the APEC-sponsored candidate. That is fine. But that should be very well known to the public. And that's the position we are right now where we do not know who's actually being uh, sincerely an advocate for the people and who's being an advocate for the people paying their ticket to be there. Mm, call us at 860. No, no, another number. This is what happens when you're on the air every day, just about. <laughs> attorney, Attorney Patillo, call us at 773 763 9278. 773 763 WCPT, and let us talk about this. Uh, your thoughts, Attorney Erin Connolly. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, this hundred million, I think, is a, a low number. First, I'll, I'll, I'll say that I think that's a, a nice round number put out into the press to to scare other folks who may be thinking about stepping up and, and joining this very important call for a humanitarian ceasefire in the Middle East right now. And I think. What we we've seen the influence, and your your guest Nina Turner can can speak to her extensive personal experience in the primary portion of our electoral system, and the influence that this type of money has. And what this does at this stage is designed to either encourage folks who are thinking about jumping in and being that 
that candidate who primaries uh, one of these representatives or somebody who's on the fence. Um, and, and then this money does, does have a real impact. And to Robert's point, this has been happening in, on every side and in every race since Citizens United um, you know, gutted our, gutted our system. What people are, are recognizing now is more, more than ever, and we see this in poll numbers, we see this in, in engagement with our electorate, especially younger voters, we're paying more attention. The things that you know, were brushed under the rug um, before are, are now coming more and more into the open, and, and we see people doing deeper research, having bigger understanding of how our system works, and while, yes, the, I would say the average voter who maybe doesn't pay too much attention and co- shows up on Election Day um, for a general election, but these are primary voters, okay, which is a different type of voter that shows up. And for that type of race, I think, you know, we see these so-called, quote-unquote, squad members, but I think it's a, a broader progressive coalition that's really gaining ground in this country for a genuine movement. And we, we've seen that in the last few elections. So to, I think the squad label is, is a little convenient to undermine the, the real chops that, that well, this group has. It has right? negative connotations, right? Yeah. Not the group. Yeah. I mean, you know, they don't they don't call no labels and Republican groups squads exactly. or police exactly. groups, you know, stuff or, like that, you know. No exactly. disrespect to the police because I, I, you know, I'm against corruption anywhere, but I support the police. And because uh, I know somebody, first of all, I support law and order. I just don't want uh, the law to, I want you to have my back, not be on it. How about that? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but, Amen. Um, yeah, I think, I think this, this money is concerning, but I think it can be, it can be combated, right? We look at someone like Cori Bush, we look at a race like Summer Lee in Pennsylvania. Um, these, these will be primary voters. I think the education piece on the democratic side starts now, but with the way some of these national polls are going, I think, I think they need to think long and hard about, which races they're, they're making this big investment in and how, how, how the electorate in that district is able to discern who sent you, right? If, if there's a, a clear understanding in, in this messaging of, of, of what's being attacked, um, you know, I, I think the voters are getting smarter and smarter. At the same time, though, this is a lot of money. And at the end of races, when it's tight, and especially in a race like, like Nina Turner's we saw in Ohio, um, the timing of this money and, uh, and where it goes on, on television um, with, with mailers, with um, mostly negative um, storylines, that's, that's mm-hmm. the goal of this type of money. Um, and we, we need absolute, absolutely more transparency, but it'll be our job and it'll be the job of organizers and volunteers to really do that piece to, to tell voters the difference, right? Okay. Um, the, the concern is, though, and I think Robert's point, and, um, that this is a foreign-based organization. This is for foreign policy ends. We see a lot of heat on the other side for folks being influenced or the, the um, you know, even the intention of um, doing business with someone like China, for example. So um, the foreign involvement in our elections is concerning on multiple levels. But but this in particular is is a lot of money to per, to pursue a certain certain type of foreign policy, and I think voters are wising up to it. Absolutely, Dwight McKee, your thoughts? 
Well, I think it's a great investment for APAC. You you invest a hundred million dollars, and you get back three billion dollars in tax money in return. I mean, you can't beat that kind of investment. What? But when you look at a at a state like Minnesota with the Muslim community, all that money won't mean anything because they understand where their interest lies, and they're going to support those candidates that support them. We need to become that that sophisticated in the black community and the brown community that that money does not uh, persuade us because we understand where our interests lie. With all the money they put in, in media, with all the money they put in lobbying, you can still only buy one vote. And if that voter is sophisticated enough to understand where his interest lies, then that money has no impact on his decisions because he understands uh, the, what's behind the veil. He understands where the wizard is behind the veil. And that's really where, where we lack in many cases is the lack of sophistication. And so, for example, many of the black caucus members uh, just jumped on the, the, the Israeli bandwagon uh, because their constituencies did not hold them accountable because we didn't understand that our interest was not just in Israeli security, but it was also in equity and justice for the Palestinians and for the Jewish, for the Christian community in Israel. And so we were more negotiable. Our ignorance made us more negotiable. We just need to become more sophisticated to understand or what's, what we're looking at and what's happening to us in this process. I want you to call us at 773-763-9278, and let's talk about this, 773-763-9278. Uh, we saw this very, very, very clearly during the Jackson campaigns of 84 and 88. Uh, this same group, I mean, APAC and people from the right wing of the of the Jewish com- community have been coming for reference since he and Mrs. Jackson went to the Middle East in 79. And um, it reached almost fever pitch. Well, it just, it never stopped. It never, ever stopped. Um, But what Reverend had the advantage of was having been in the fields as an organizer for more than 20 years at that point. And so his voters stayed with him, even as this community came after him. The two times Reverend was interrupted, Dwight McKee, in his uh, announcement speech, and you thought it was a Malcolm X moment because these people, while Reverend is speaking at the beginning, they just jumped up and they were from the Jewish Defense League. Um, and the second person who jumped up, the crowd became angry and almost physically turned on him. And we just wanted to get them out. You have a right to say what you have to say, but you can't interrupt this. But I think of a Carolyn Kasdan. I think about Bob Borsage, our Jewish allies who came on the campaign. Carolyn uh, Kasdan in particular, we had no money. But because she is a progressive, still, she just kept on going. And these people, many of them, they were put out of their synagogues. They were shunned at their synagogues. Uh, their families turned away from them. All of that. So let's keep this in mind. I don't want you to conflate all Jewish people with this. You've got to be very, very careful. We need to be very clear on who APAC, who they are, and what it is they do, and whom they stand for. It's certainly not you. Okay, Attorney Daryl Jones, your thoughts. 
You know, you're absolutely right, uh, Santito, on being certain that we understand uh, who APAC is and what they represent. Uh, because you know we, there are uh, many uh, that are uh, that are friends uh, of the African American and and the you know co- people of color uh, movement and the, on, and the progressive community. Right. And you know, and the, they have a very real progressive tradition. And and they yeah. they were the ones who it was Jeff Cohen and um, and Fair who went after the New York Times because they said you're not covering the Jackson campaign fairly. So, you know, so I just I want people to be clear on that. But so but right. what do you make of this one hundred million dollars? I think Aaron has a point that this is meant to frighten people, but they are also cultivating people. I, see, I know some people that are cultivating to run against Jonathan right now. Congressman, I know it. I see it. <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, both uh, Aaron, I think, uh, as, as well as uh, Dwight McKee were, were right on point. Because, you know, we, we have to recognize and appreciate that this is what the American political system is, is that, you know, a, a large part of it is money that's going into candidates that get elected. Usually the candidates, you know, they, they, they sell their game, they sell their product, they tell to the voters, this is what I'm going to do. They get in and then some of them become so focused on retaining the position rather than retaining the interest of the people. And that's where APAC comes in, because it, 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 gets, it gets to the point of saying, here is the money you're going to need to maintain your campaign. You know, but we're going to need you to do something for us. We're going to need you to be on our side. We're going to need to be able to influence some of the decisions and votes that you make. And you know, what happens from there is the question becomes, do the voters now continue to hold that elected official accountable? And I think that's where Dwight was going with that, is that you know, it's important for the voters to understand that once we uh, elect someone, we get them into position. If they start taking positions that are in opposite of our interests, then we've got to hold them accountable. This $100 million that's coming from APAC, it does a couple of things. One, it certainly influences the elected official to try to separate them from uh, generally if they've taken a position that was that was pro-majority uh, perhaps of their district on an, uh, on an issue. It separates them from that to say, you know, we can build the issue. We will help you. We will give you the money. We'll have the, uh, the commercials that air, the pieces that air, to be able to separate you and protect you because you're now part of us and we need your vote. The other thing that it does, however, is it dissuades elected officials from going against APAC because they realize that if they go against them, that they're going to have to face this, uh, this, you know, this mahimath of, of, of money and organization and structure that are going to come against them in a district that may have been safe if they would just be quiet or not take a position against APAC's interests. So the $100 million uh, in my estimation, really does mark uh, a, a problem, you know, and lifts up an issue uh, that's part of our political system. And, and that is, you know, will we as the voters uh, be able to come forward and push uh, on the issue uh, that we have elected our officials to to represent us on? So, you know, it, it's a major issue. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's a big thing with the voters. It's a big thing with education. And most voters don't read entire stories. They don't read the post. They don't follow it as, as, as many of the wants on, 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 uh, of our analysts uh, do uh, on your show. They're going to just get bits and pieces. And so they're going to think this person is good or this person is bad and not necessarily have everything else that's behind it. That's what I think is going on. That's the concern here. And that's why this $100 million from APEC is concerning in my, in my estimation. 
Mm, I want you to call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT, The Santita Jackson Show, uh, on AM 950 Radio, The Voice of Progressive Minnesota, and WCPT, my home station here in Chicago, the largest progressive talk radio station in the country. Meet the morning stars on The Santita Jackson Show. Then I have Nina Turner joining this panel. Really, we want to ask her about her experience as she ran um, and... This lobby came in on her with such ferocity. And even with her stalwart supporter, Bernie Sanders, they just, her candidacy, uh, just did. She was defeated at the polls with all that she does for people. And I mean, I like the person they represented that they that Cleveland ended up electing. But I'll talk about that, everybody, here on the Santita Jackson Show. Just back in a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio in the uh, the voice of progressive Minnesota. I want you to meet my morning stars over here on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel. Meet them at the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel. What do you think about this $100 million that APAC is going to use to target uh, the squad and progressives, about a half a dozen of them? Not all progressive members, but it's interesting, those members who are persons of color. It's interesting. It's interesting. So I want to know what your thoughts are. What does this mean? And should organizations or entities, lobbyists who register, who really function on behalf of another country, should they register as as agents of that country? See, I don't have a problem with, this is the way, I don't have a problem with you advocating for whom you advocate, but you need to let people know where you're coming from. Is it America or is it another country? And that is what happened to Nina Turner. It almost happened to Summer Lee. Um, it did happen to, Con- uh, to Reverend Jesse Jackson when he was running for president and on and on and on. And we're now having a discussion out loud, Attorney Robert Petillo, that people whispered about for many, many years. You know, it, you knew it. It was, a, it was this was an article of faith. Uh, but now things have changed. I want you to call us at 773-763-9278 and join Attorney Robert Patillo, Dwight McKee, Attorney Daryl Jones, Attorney Aaron Connolly. We're still trying to get um, Nina Turner, but I think there's a lot for you to chew on. Call us at uh, 773-763-9278 and let's talk about this. Uh, will your congressperson be primary? It looks like they just might be. You need to, and you need to know when people, when you mount a serious challenge. One moment, Dwight, because I have to go into headlines. Hold that thought. When you, when you mount a serious challenge to an incumbent, something is behind that. Some big money is behind that because the power of the incumbency is quite powerful. It is. It's huge. So. You know, I want you to call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT in Chicago. 42 degrees will be the high. It is cloudy and rainy. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 42 degrees, rain 
off and on, and clouds, everybody. Um, in the NFL, the Eagles 21, Kansas City 17, the NBA, the T- Timberwolves 117, the Knicks 100. Bulls weren't so lucky last night. The, hate, the Heat 118, uh, the Bulls 100. Uh, there was uh, an interesting, well, group of children singing on an Israeli uh, platform. Uh, they were singing in another year. There will be nothing there. And we will safely return to our homes within a year. We will annihilate everyone and we will return to plow our fields. They were speaking of Gaza, everybody. These are children. This advertisement has since been withdrawn, but wow. What do you think about that, everybody? Those of you who are traveling today for the holidays, please be careful because there are seven major storms all around the country that could imperil your travel. Please call before you fly in particular and, and follow the follow the weather service as you drive. Please be careful, everybody. Uh, call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. Want to know what your thoughts are today about this particular issue. And, of course, John Nichols will be joining us at the bottom of the hour to talk about Gaza, to talk about Gaza. So call us at... You know, on this show, we have been really pushing for you to be financially empowered. And we've been working with Team Hochberg to that end. The great thing about Team Hochberg is that they have a credit card. uh, That if you, it's a secured credit card, and if you load it up and you pay the bill within the month, they can begin to raise your credit score. Call them at 855-59-DAVID, 899 Excuse me, 899-855-56-DAVID, 855-56-DAVID. But now they have a way for you to own your own home, to purchase a home with just 1% down. It might sound crazy, but they have worked that out. But you need to call them at 855-56-DAVID to find out to find out if you qualify for this program. Saving for a down payment has been the largest barrier between people and home ownership. 20% of $100,000 is a whole lot of money. And most people can't pull that anymore. Um, now they have this loan that will help all of our listeners, all of our listeners, uh, to have a 1% down payment on their loan. They want to help you, your friends, your children, everybody be a part of this. And because the biggest asset that Americans have, well, it's their home. So it's a big financial investment that can pay off for you as time goes on. You can get loans if you have a home. You can get all kinds of uh, privileges if you are a homeowner, everybody. And so do yourself, do yourself a favor. Call Team Hochberg to see if you qualify for this program in which you pay 1% down. Say the house is $100,000. Okay, two. Instead of giving $40,000, you would then just give two. Think about it. You need to call them and find out if you're eligible for this program. 855-56-DAVID. Uh, Dwight McKee, you were jumping in. You wanted to say something about uh, this $100 million that APAC has set aside. I don't understand how you can be the ambassador to Japan and have dual citizenship and be an Israeli army. Could you imagine if you were ambassador to Taiwan and also was in the Chinese army? I mean, this double standard is astounding to me when you really think about this thing. Rahm Emanuel is ambassador to Japan, but he also is an Israeli citizen and is also in Israeli army. 
I could not imagine you being the ambassador to the Ukraine and being in the Russian army at the same time as an American citizen. Can you help me with that one, somebody? Uh, I, I don't think anyone can, or, or even we we see members of Congress. Uh, you know, we saw Fetterman going up to Palestinian protesters, calling for a ceasefire, waving an Israeli flag in their face. Imagine um, if any other U.S. Uh, senator uh, waving a foreign nation flag walking out of the Capitol. You know, it would be a complete uproar. Uh, even an ally, you know, even if it was a U.K. or a French flag, because we expect you to have the best interest of America at heart. And uh, and someone made this point the other day, and I'm stealing it, uh, that Israeli uh, Israel has more rights in Congress than Puerto Rico. Uh, and this is just a reality. Those These people are U.S. citizens. You know, folks in Guam uh, have fewer rights than Israelis have in the U.S. Congress. And we really have to rebalance this system, and it comes with campaign finance reform. Because as, uh, as has been stated, uh, when hundreds of millions of dollars are coming at you, when they meet media apparatus that's coming at you, uh, there's, it's very difficult for a progressive grassroots candidate who's really funded by the community to stand up to this, that barrage and deluge of just negative advertising, negative information, uh, people going through your past, going through every part of your, your biography in order to bring you down. Uh, there's a reason that they maintain this level of power in U.S. politics, and it's a level of power that no other country has. Well, how do you think Reverend Jackson survived his campaign? Because when I was talking to Nina Turner about what was happening to her campaign, I said, well, this is what Reverend went through. I mean, Bernie Sanders, who was one of only two white elected officials in the United States to endorse Reverend in 83, uh, one of his Jewish sisters, not his literal sister, but uh, one of his sisters within that family, within that family, because we're all one human family, everybody, uh, slapped him in the face. It was almost like a punch. Um, she called him a traitor. So what do you think about that? And should uh, should these uh, lobbying entities, should they state whom they represent? Call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. Your thoughts, Daryl. I mean, how, wow. I mean, this is something, this is not new. Right. This is something that people whispered about, but now everybody wants to talk about it, Daryl. You know, uh, Santina, I think that you're you're absolutely right that uh, it, it it should be a requirement that uh, people know where money is coming from, uh, that the voters know that this is funded by you know X organization, this is funded by APAC, this is funded by whomever. Uh, and, and then to be able to try to ferret out uh, some of what does it really mean? What does the candidate really stand for? Because you're influencing the voters, and, and, and ultimately, you know, it, it's the voters that are making the decision. But the whole point here is that when you have foreign lobbyists coming to influence American politicians and policy, we've got to be certain that to the highest degree possible that the American voters understand where the money is coming from for the people that are making the commercials, for the people that are making the statements, so that they have an understanding of who it is that they're voting for or voting against. I mean, I, I think that's one of the basic tenets that should be there. You know, there, the, it, the situations are rare. I think that uh, with Reverend Jackson, uh, that, you know, he certainly was uh, an exception to the rule in terms no, of... Wasn't an you know, exception. Had it, oh, he, sur- he survived. He survived. 
and and uh, and I think that you know with him with that situation, uh, what happens is that he had such a great ability to reach the people individually. So that, you know, the, the commercials that were out there, it was broken, I think, because of his ability to reach the individual person and for the person to really consume who he was and to know that he was with them. That doesn't exist for many of the uh, elected officials that are out there. They don't have the platform. They don't have what uh, the, I don't know what the word necessarily is, but they, they don't necessarily reach uh, all of these individuals and have them just really uh, absorb the character of who they are and, and, and what they represent. And that's when they become very vulnerable uh, to, to the money interests that are out there that are trying to paint them into the corner, to paint a negative picture of them, whether it's by commercial, by you know, advertisements on Facebook or you know, IG or whatever, uh, all those things that are out there to paint that negative picture, they, they feel as though they can't overcome it on their own. The grassroots efforts uh, of their campaigns are not strong enough. So, you know, that's what I, I think uh, is important is that, you know, we've got to be certain that we are able to identify, not simply identify those foreign lobbyists that are influencing American policies and, and politicians, but we've got to publish it. We've got to put it out there so that the voters know uh, what this, uh, what's behind the candidate that they're voting for or voting against. Hmm, let me go to Linear Bob. Linear Bob, what's on your mind today, sweetie? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I want to second what we just heard, but I want to say there's another piece to it as well, and it has to do with the media. When, when Nina Turner was running for the, in the primary in Cleveland, mm-hmm. there were only two news organizations that I know of, both of which are web-based and small, independent. One is called Status Quo News, and I don't remember the name of the other one, but they were the only ones showing the, the advertising that was being run against Nina and how deceptive it was and following the money and say, where did this advertising come from? They bought all the, all the minutes in television. They bought all the minutes in radio. They bought billboards all over the place. They covered buses. I mean, it was everywhere you looked was, was negative stuff against Nina Turner. And why? Because she said the Palestinians were people. That's all she did was Palestinians are people, and that brought APAC down like a ton of bricks. And, and, the, and no news organizations that I know of, other than these two little independent web-based things, even said anything about it. Hmm. You know what, everybody? We have been trying to reach Nina Turner. If we can't get her before the, before the show is over, we will get her back on another time. You know, she's got, huh, she is Pressed, pressed, pressed. But, I mean, I want to know what your thoughts are. Call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. I mean, how do you recognize these candidates, Robert Patillo, and then you, Aaron? How do you recognize these candidates? How do you even pose the question about who are you and where are you coming from? Because it costs a lot of money, number one. To get a congressional seat, you have to raise an enormous amount of money. And then uh, once you get it, you have just a teeny bit of space. But then you look up and you have a candidate who comes out of nowhere with so much money. And you're like, now where'd they, who sent them? Not where'd they come from. Who sent them? Robert? Well, you know, the, the, 
Yeah, you know, this is not even a hypothetical. This is exactly what just happened with George Santos, where uh, mm-hmm. some guy just shows up out of nowhere with a, a BS biography uh, and then hundreds of thousands of dollars. I don't think we still figured out who financed his campaign uh, when he was running. Uh, that He had something like $700,000 that just showed up in his primary account and just out of nowhere. And there's been no disclosure where they came from, who paid his bail money, those sorts of things. So it happens on a, a regular basis. And it was important as voters that we ask more questions and have forced them to think critically, because often these individuals are just given a list of talking points. They read off the talking points, um, and they make sure not to go against any of their corporate masters. One of my favorite questions is uh, for the like the elected officials who are just dogged supporters of Israel, I just ask them, what exactly is the difference between uh, Israel and reparations for African Americans? How can you support giving an aggrieved minority group uh, financial assistance and land because of their historical uh, discrimination and not be in favor of giving a historically discriminated group uh, economic and uh, territorial rights because of their historical discrimination. There's no intellectually honest way to support Israel and be against reparations for African Americans. And I've asked that to probably a half dozen uh, Congress people, and it's, it's, uh, it's like you pour water on a cat. Um, they start shorting out. You know, they'll freeze up like Mitch McConnell. They'll uh, disappear behind somebody because they have not actually been elected or they're not actually candidates because they uh, have a mastery of the issues. They have a great understanding of what it means to be an elected official. They have strong policy positions. Um, they are a candidate because, uh, uh, as President Trump said this week, we have Manchurian candidates running who are only told what to think and what to say. They are more so actors in a, uh, in a marketing campaign. And these, uh, uh, these groups, they go out and find people that fit the demographics they want in order to win a particular seat. They put money behind them. They write the talking points. They hire the consultants. And we as voters have the responsibility to vet them because the media apparatus is bought and paid for by the same people. This is why suddenly when somebody is supposed to be great, they show up on every single cable news show. They're on every podcast, every radio show. Uh, and then when somebody is bad, all of a sudden the media turns on them immediately as one group. It's almost a heel turn that a marching band will do. And this marches the other direction on them because they're all controlled by the same media apparatuses. So therefore, it's up to the voters themselves to ask these direct and ask these hard questions and advocate for people that they know and trust. Well, I want to, I'm on their website now. They see we are more than 3 million pro-Israel Americans from every, every congressional district who are working to strengthen bipartisan support for the U.S.-Israeli uh, in relationship. They continue, we, the US gov- we encourage the U.S. government to enact specific policies that create a strong, enduring, and mutually beneficial relationship with our ally, Israel. And, get this, they stand with those who stand with us. Uh, 98% of APAC-backed candidates won their general election races in 2022. 98%. Aaron, that is an astonishing figure. Is Erin Connolly still there? She might. Well, she might not be. Well, Dwight, that's astonishing. Ninety-eight percent. Again, it's what Robert just kind of laid out. Is that again? You're dealing with it mechanism. You're dealing with an apparatus. You're just not dealing with you know campaign finance. You're dealing with systems that come in and define you and redefine you and define your candidate and redefine uh, who they are. And ultimately, by the time that they create control the narrative, 
and control the perception of who you are and who your candidate is, you all have virtually no chance. The advantage that Reverend Jackson has, the reason he was able to survive it, is because he had about 20, 25 years in and had a grassroots direct relationship with a lot of his constituency. So they knew him from speaking in churches. They knew him from speaking in schools. They knew him from dealing with, with issues, as they do, you know, Reverend Sharpton and those ground roots civil rights leaders. So some of them are able to survive it. But if you're somebody like Nina Turner, who's in a, in process, then you have almost no chance when that apparatus jumps on you. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, the net impact is that they're going to more than often they are going to win. Hmm. Let me go to let me go to Robert, who has a comment. Robert, what's on your mind, hon? How you doing? It's great hearing your voice. Uh, happy yeah, I wanted to, happy Thanksgiving to you and everybody else. Uh, I I wanted to comment on APAC because uh, in in the last month. I kind of tapped into discussion spaces on Twitter that were being organized by people in Palestine and in the Middle East. And over the last month, I have come to a realization that APAC is literally, if you want to talk about a deep state, that's what the deep state is. And why do I say that? Because APAC is directly a product of the Israeli military. Their, their total focus is, is to make sure funding flows to, to, to Israel, and it's been doing it since 1948. That's when it began, and, and people should begin to directly confront all of these Democratic politicians and demand how much money they're getting from APAC. I approached uh, uh, Brad Schneider. Usually when I send him an email, I get a response. He will not respond to that to that question. How much money do you get from APAC? And there's a lot of other Democrats that are out there. And if you want to wonder why nothing gets done in this country for our people, it's because APAC has absolutely monopolized the Congress and is getting them to focus on the biggest military proxy project in our history, and that's Israel. And, and, and the sooner we realize that, the sooner we realize the trillions, there's billions of uh, cubic feet of gas, natural gas underneath Gaza, mm-hmm. we'll start to realize what this is really about. It's not about Hamas. It's not about any of these biblical stories. This is mm-hmm. about land and resources. And that's all it's about. And it, it, it'll take time for you to dig through that. But I'm saying tap into some of these Arab journalists. They're in intelligent people they're well read they know they understand the united states better than most americans do i was shocked by this their clarity of thought about what is going on in the world is impressive so you know get an impact out of this country stay stay right there stay right there i want you to talk to uh, talk to everybody during the crosstalk and i want you to call us at 773-763 WCPT 773-763-9278. want to get your thoughts about this as we bring on John Nichols to talk about Greg Kassar. Kassar, he is a Texas Democrat who is facing, uh, he's got overwhelming support 
for a ceasefire, but he's been talking to his constituents and he's following them. He's representing their wishes. I wonder what your thoughts are about this, everybody. And happy birthday to Mildred Banks. Sending you much love, one of my morning stars. Everybody, please give us a love. I cannot type this in. I was trying to wish you happy birthday online. Mildred, happy birthday, my sister. Love you, love you, love you, everybody. Kenneth, Chaparral already did it. Everybody, wish Mildred Banks a happy birthday. One of the Santita Jackson Morning Stars. Back in a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. $100 million set aside by APAC to go after progressives. And interestingly, they're the progressives of, progressives of color. Um, read into that what you will. But it's very, very interesting to see this happen. I want you to call us at 773-763-9278. Of course, John Nichols, you know, this is his segment. He's been kind enough to, to let us kind of bleed, blend these things in because we have uh, former Ohio State Senator Nina Turner. You know we love Nina Turner, and you do too, one of the most popular political figures in America today. Of course, she hosts Unbossed with Nina Turner on the Young Turks TV network, and um, she's a senior fellow at the Institute on Race, Power, and Political Economy at the New School. Wow, what happened during your campaign? Good morning, SJ, to your audience. And to John and everyone, so great to be here with you. But this story, yeah, I'm having really, I'm having flashbacks. You know, I was just in D.C. yesterday. I saw on Friday or or Sunday night, as a matter of fact, I was with my dear Benjamin and Andy Shalaw and some other folks and and, uh, Brianna Joy Gray, who I know everybody knows. And she was asking, you know, S.A.T., how are you? Uh, because she knows what I went through, as John and the rest of you know. And uh, this is triggering to see that uh, groups like APAC and Democratic Majority for Israel uh, want to spend this kind of money on the squad members. And I'm going to do more. I'm going to do better. They, they're the, they're the, the, the Congress people are standing up for peace. That's who they are in this moment. It's not about them being a so-called squad. They are standing up for peace. They are standing up to save lives. And to see this happen to them is really triggering for me because these are the same forces that came into a Democratic primary in Ohio 11th District and decided which black person was going to be in charge. In the black community, we call that the HNIC. You know, who's going to be the head Negro in charge? They were able to decide that. And the reason why they're able to cloak their anti-blackness, because make no mistake, the majority of the candidates that they're going up against are candidates of color. And among them, the majority are African-American. The reason why is particularly in the black community needs to wake up and not let anybody, and I don't care who they are, dictate who our leaders are. We must stand up and decide who our leaders are going to be. But when they put up black against black, when they support one black person over another, then that gives them the opportunity to say, we're not anti-black. Oh, no, you are anti-black. And it is a problem. And the the fact that they're doing this in our face, right up in our face. What other organizations do you know, can anybody name, right now in the United States of America, who advocate solely for a foreign entity? get to decide who the various elected officials are in those communities. I want you to think about it. And why is it that they go so hard after progressive candidates 
of color in particular, but it's progressive candidates. These are the same organizations that supported 106 Republicans that said that the 2020 election was rigged, did not believe that President Biden should have been seated. They support those kinds of candidates, too. So we got to ask ourselves, though, why they're so virulent in the black community. And another question for our SJ to ask, well, this is a family barbecue question, but we know we got other folks, our other sisters and brothers peering in. Why does the black community sit idly by and allow it to happen? Do we even realize that it's happening? I mean, members of the panel, Attorney Erin Connolly and um, Attorney Robert Patillo, Dwight McKee, and Attorney Daryl Jones, uh, we don't know who represents whom and who's lobbying for whom. And in this case, they are in their mission statement. They say we are lobbying for the state of Israel. That's great. But I think you should register as a foreign agent and then stay that say that. But 98 percent of the candidates they back win. Wow. Nina Turner. What did they what happened yeah. in your campaign? I mean, just how did this manifest? It's the force of money. It manifested because I was you know, asked. I interviewed with all press and I was interviewed by Jewish press. And they asked me about, because in Congress, you know, you got to deal with the, the foreign or international issues. Never had this problem when I ran, when I was a state senator about, you know, Israel and Palestine or Israelis and Palestinians. And I said security for both peoples. Then they asked me about the boycott, you know, uh, and, and I hadn't truly formed a position on that. I'm thinking, hey, let's come together before folks start boycott and the boycott divestment, you know, movement is, is going on, too. Now, understanding in our history and black history, boycotts were, were a tool, you know, but I was trying to run my race, not even getting caught up in that. And I got to say, and I say, thank you for giving me this opportunity. I didn't know what hit me. I couldn't believe that I was in this mess, so to speak. I, I'm saying to myself, how did this happen to me? Because as a state senator, I had the largest number of Jewish of the Jewish community in my Senate district. And I was just blown away that I was in this situation. All I said was justice and security for both peoples. And then I got a call from a prominent Jewish businessman who said to me that I was going there to be one of the squad. Now, this is it, sisters and brothers. I want you to think about this. Called me up and said, you, you want to be a member of the squad. You need to disavow the squad. And I'm thinking, well, Corey Bush is a friend of mine. You know, Rashida Tlaib, colleague of mine. You know, I'm just going down the list. Disavow. Mm-hmm. They decided they were going to overlay their, dis, their, their dislike or disdain for the squad on me. This elder went on to say, we coming at you. With everything we got, you will not win that congressional seat. Now, I want the black community in particular and anybody of good consciousness. Do you believe that any four should have that kind of authority and power, not the Democratic majority for Cleveland or for the United States or for Ohio, Democratic majority for Israel? And then after this happened to me, they went on to interview and rave about it. APAC money came in, DMFI money came in, Republican donor money came in to help my opponent. They had a red box on their website. I know John remembers this because people reported on it, had it right in plain sight where the other campaign told signal to them because they couldn't contact them directly. You're not directly supposed to talk to a PAC, but indirectly signal to them what they wanted them to do to me, meaning my opponent put on their website the things that they wanted to have happen to me, and they did that. So it was the culmination of that money, 
4,000 Republicans crossed over in that primary. I want my sisters and brothers and family and friends to understand that in May of 2021, during the special election, I was 30 points ahead. They walked me down. They tore me down. And they utilized both the angry black woman trope. Many of you may know I'm a chocolate sister. And it's especially when you're a chocolate sister that that lays on you. And my opponent was lighter, is of lighter skin. They pulled it all out. And so the question to the black community is how long we going to allow this kind of stuff to to go on. And so to see that out in our face, they're saying flat out, we're coming after these elected officials because they stand for peace. We're coming after them because they want to make sure that there are conditions and that 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 slaughter is not happening in the name of the American people. And they're really standing up for a ceasefire that, quite frankly, when you think about it, is good for both Palestinians and Israelis. Let's get the hostages back. Let's try to work to find a long term peace so that both people can have self-determination. But SJ, that is why they came after me with a vision. Done anything not not uttered one anti-Semitic thing, not not one. But they came at me because I would not disavow the squad. And also, this this businessman said to me that Palestinians had no right that Israel had to recognize. And you know what? I wasn't willing to sell my soul. John Nichols, we saw this in '84 and '88. I mean, mm-hmm. and. <laughs> But Dwight McKee made the point very quickly, Dwight, before I bring John on. You made the point about uh, comparing and contrasting what's happening to the Nina Turners and others with what happened with Reverend Jackson. You said he'd been out in the field already more than 20 years, which so his relationship well, with the black why community was rock to, solid. Yeah. Well, that's why I say he was able to survive it as, you know, four or five other politicians who had a kind of track record with the black community, who had been, you know, had enduring relationships, who the community knew uh, because of their transparency and because of their commitment, you know. So they knew him from the picket lines. They knew Reverend Jackson from the churches. They knew him from the educational issues he had taken. And so it gave him an advantage because he couldn't be that dramatically redefined by uh, that new narrative that they put on you. Whereas Nina, I thought, uh, with all of her, her track record and all of her history, didn't have a 25, 30-year track record at that level of visibility. And so she was more in process, and it gave them an advantage to redefine her and impose a narrative on her that she couldn't compete with because she didn't have, at that point, the history of the resources. And yeah. so that's the real disadvantage we have, huh? No, no, I was going to, I mean, I, you're, you're, I mean, I think you're making your analysis is spot on. John Nichols, it, mm-hmm. we're at an inflection point because this is the quiet part that's been, that's been whispered about, that's been uttered out loud, and now it's become a thing. So AOC's comments the other week about APAC makes sense because they, of course, are knowing that they're about to be primaried. I mean, and big money is going to be behind them. How how does one combat that? Nina Turner was thirty points ahead, but they were able to chip mm-hmm. away at it. Mm-hmm. I mean, wow. Well, let's begin with a couple of core concepts. First, money is powerful. Money is not definitional, 
in politics. That's important to remember, and I think your father would remind us of this, that that um, sometimes we think an overwhelming assault uh, will necessarily defeat. It has the potential to defeat, and certainly powered by money, it is a very serious thing. But um, there are ways to, to respond to this. And, and uh, we were talking a moment ago off air about Greg Kassar, the congressman from down in Austin, Texas, and San Antonio. He represents uh, some of the most uh, dynamic communities in America uh, and big cities with diverse populations, many religions, many uh, backgrounds. And he was a very early supporter of the ceasefire. And he did an interesting thing. He commissioned a pollster for the Democratic National Committee uh, and the Biden campaign, somebody from the lake who's done all sorts of major polls. And he said, come into my district, ask about ceasefire, see, see what the level of support is. And what he found was, or what the poll found was, that people in the district liked Greg Kassar. They wanted, they, they said they were going to support him for re-election. But when they were told that he was a supporter of a ceasefire, 80% of them, 80% of Democrats, said they were more likely to vote for him. That's an important thing to understand. 80% said they were more likely to vote for him when they knew he was for a ceasefire. So the first thing is, don't run away from the issues that have made you, that you're being attacked on, right? Lean into them. Understand, you're being attacked because you've taken a popular stand, right? And there is a fear that if you are reelected on that popular stance, other less courageous officials will also take that stand. Now, what's notable right now and what has to be you know, really examined as regards all this APAC money is the, what you're talking about, this, this notion that so many of the targeted individuals seem to be black women. And uh, this is something that, that Mark Pocan, a congressman from Wisconsin, who is also a supporter of the ceasefire, has pointed out. And he said, you know, it's pretty notable that, that so much of this money is going against, you know, a particular group of folks. Now, we now have more than 40 supporters in Congress of a ceasefire, including we just yesterday got another U.S. senator uh, supporting ceasefire, Jeff Merkley. It is important to understand that the supporters of ceasefire in Congress are Muslim, Christian, Jewish, and even some who are not particularly religious, um, that they are black, Hispanic, Arab American, Jewish American. Uh, you know, you just run through the list, right? Um, there is a diversity of folks who are supporting ceasefire. Uh, when APAC starts to come in with huge amounts of money, who does it come in after? Those questions ought to be asked. It ought to be uh, a subject of debate. Again, it's something Mark Pocan, a congressman from Wisconsin, has raised quite often. And he's been attacked by APAC for that. APAC has gone after him uh, on these issues. And, and so I think that, that the key on this is information, a lot of information, letting people know where you stand, being proud of where you stand, and also being clear on why these attacks are going on. And I think one of the most important things to, to recognize is that APAC speaks for the Netanyahu government per se. That not you know their their politics, their ideology is in that camp, right? It is in that area. 
Israel is a much more diverse country, ideologically. Um, American Jews and Israeli Jews have many, many opinions, and it becomes vital to recognize that. If APAC is attacking someone, that doesn't mean that that person is not a supporter of security for Israel and a supporter of fairness to the Palestinian people, right? It means the APAC attack is coming from a ideology, from a position that is narrow, right, within the whole perspective. And if we understand that and talk about that in a much clearer way, I think many of the attacks um, can be blunted. You know, they, there can be a response. But the one thing I would, would remind folks of is when these folks came after Summer Lee in uh, – in, the, in Pennsylvania, and she's a, certainly a, 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 she's someone who's been a supporter of ceasefire and who may well be targeted, is likely to be. Um, they didn't attack her for her stand on Israel and Palestine. They attacked her on other issues. They said she wasn't a good Democrat. She wasn't supportive enough of Joe Biden. But and, hold that yeah, that's, But they said yeah, the same. That's the thing okay. to be conscious of. Yeah. Because you, you don't know, because I think now the yeah. ground has shifted. So they're not going to attack her for that. And that's why I think this becomes even even more challenging to acknowledge where these attacks are coming from. I mean, you were about to say, uh, Nina Turner. Yeah, just quickly, I wanted to say to, to what to what John, Brother John just said, that's what they attacked me on, too. Because the American, you know, people in our district don't understand the Israeli-Palestinian, you know, in a deep way. They're like, who, you know, we're not into this. But that's what they come in and attack you on other issues, and that's exactly what they attack me on. Now, insularly, within their their community, the community of of of, of Zionist folks that believe that I wasn't uh, sufficiently strong enough on Israel, they had their little meetings. You know, I even have emails um, because I have Jewish allies and I have allies that were in some of those meetings and sent me those emails. Um, but I'm put that in the parking lot. But to John's point, and that's why educating people is so important. They came at me and see Summer Lee benefited. Because her race was right after mine, and they could see. In, in many ways, I was the sacrificial lamb. They even bragged about it in the paper, called it the Ohio 11th strategy. That's the, they're using the same strategy. But John is spot on. They attacked me as not being sufficiently democratic, democrat, a strong, a good democrat. That I didn't support uh, President Biden. Many of you know I made that comment. Half a bowl of excrement. Uh, now was what's going on in, in, the, in the Middle East. I might, I might go ahead and change that to the whole bowl, but I put that in the parking lot. But that's what they got me on, and then they and then they painted me as the angry black woman, and so those things resonated. Trying, remember, in 2020, trying to get rid of Trump, you want to send somebody like Nina Turner to Congress? She is not a good Democrat. She is going to mess with the with the president's agenda. We can't, you know, that kind of thing. And then they use yeah, they use the trope. So John is absolutely right. That's how they come because in most communities, the Israeli Palestinian. Uh, uh, Challenges does not resonate, but not being a good Democrat does. Uh, being an angry black woman does. Not being sufficiently loyal to the Democratic Party and to the president does. That's how they got me. Externally. Now, internally, one more point that I want to make. Mm-hmm. I want them, they sent emails all over the country. So even people, I remember when I got a call from one of my advisors saying Senator Turner, Bankman freed. You know, the, the one that's been charged and everything is coming into this race. And I'm like, coming into this race? Why? I don't even know. First I said, well, who in the hell is he? Who is he? Never heard of him. He said, I'm going to try to call and try to get him out your race, but he's coming into your race. But my question is, how do you not get got? 
Because when I shared oh. with you, as we were talking, oh. you know, as I, when we were talking, I said, yes. you know, this is, the blueprint yeah. was Reverend Jackson. Yeah, yeah, the I ultimate mean, the, blueprint, absolutely. Well, because it was presidential, because he was the most That's prominent right. black uh, spokesperson mm-hmm. at the time, and he and Mr. Right. Jackson had gone to the Middle East. The question right. is, I mean, and John was very active in the campaign. He's one of our, like, 1983 supporters, and he and I were both mm-hmm. kids. Mm-hmm. How, did, how, how, did, how did Reverend, I mean, that was a long time ago. How, I mean, mm-hmm. Dwight McKee made the point, Reverend's roots were so deep in the black community, and he had been, people had seen him literally every day. So he did not mm-hmm. get God, although they tried. How do you not get God? Because they came after Jim, Jim Trafficant from Ohio, who's white. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the good thing. They, went, they came after him. So while they're targeting black and brown people right now, they target people who don't hew to a particular line, a particular ideology. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to understand right. because they're not going to just right. come in as they're not going to talk about Israel now. They're going to talk about mm-hmm. other issues. And John? Well, one thing that Reverend Jackson did was to go and speak to people in the Jewish community, to go to, to a synagogue, I think up in New Hampshire, if I'm not mistaken. Um, as this, as the initial, some of the initial controversies raged, and and he didn't run away from the topic. He spoke about it openly, honestly. I think not angrily. You know, he tried. He he showed his whole self, and and I I do think that that doesn't mean you're necessarily going to get everybody's vote, but you will you will at least temper some of the criticism. And I think this is important in this in this circumstance, especially now, because what we know is that Jewish, Muslim, Christian members of Congress are supporting a ceasefire. It is something that polls show astronomical numbers of Americans support. And so 66 percent. <laughs> that's right. And, and even higher among young voters and, and even higher among Democrats. And, and that's so. Right. If you're in a primary situation, the, the critical thing here is to talk about these issues. And it will be different than in the past because uh, this issue today is front and center. People are talking about it. And, and Nina Turner is right. In her race, Israel-Palestine was not the, the first issue. It wasn't, wasn't one that, that everybody was focused on. Right now, and I think for a good period of time to come, it will be. And as a result, as a result, there is an opportunity to really talk about these issues and to do so and explain why you stand, where you stand, and what you stand for. And, and again, I'll come back to this example of Greg Kassar, um, who, you know, did this polling and then has talked about it a lot in a lot of settings and said, look, now I can actually say what I am for. I am for a ceasefire. I am for making every effort to release the hostages who were taken by Hamas. On October 7th, I am for seeking a peace process that will get us out of this circumstance so we don't see this anymore. And when you are able to talk about that and really put the, put your stand forward, right, and, and not have it be obscured by ads attacking you for not being a good enough Democrat or something like that, but go to the heart of the matter. What you get to do is to condemn anti-Semitism and Islamophobia and to stand strong and say, look, there are many opinions about what should happen in Israel and Palestine. APAC has one opinion, 
right? And that is an opinion that, you know, is similar to that of the Israeli government right now. But there are other opinions in Israel and in the United States within the Jewish community, and that as a candidate, you take the stand, take a stand that is one that is supported by many American Jews and by at least some portion of Israeli Jews. And so you, you got to, I think it's possible to get beyond it. And I think we go back to the reverend's lessons, right? Because the reverend mm-hmm. didn't run away from things. He talked about them. And he talked about them in healing and reconciling ways. And yeah, I think what, what, the people, especially the black his, communities, saw that. Yeah. Well, 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 also without losing his manhood. The last That's minute right. I'm going to give to you, uh, Nina Turner, do you think you'll run again? Because the ground has shifted. I, I may. I may. Sis. A lot has changed in uh, just two years. I mean, John is absolutely right about that. I did not have uh, that luxury two years ago, but the light, you know, because I did all of that. I talked to people. I went and I, I tried to push. Did, yeah. I did it. It didn't It didn't work in that case. But yeah, the, the grounds are shifting. So James Baldwin, once again, everything that's faced, uh, we might not be able to change everything we're facing, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. And so we got a lot to face right now. Stay right here. I'm going to get closing thoughts, everybody. i got to dash out of here today, but I want to get closing thoughts from Robert Bertillo, Aaron Connolly, and Daryl Jones, and uh, Dwight McKee, very quickly, and you, and Lena, Nina Turner, to stay right here on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel. Thank you for a great show, Alex, and have a great Thanksgiving. I'll be back tomorrow, but i kind of, kind of wish my guy won. Stay right there, everybody.